So just to acknowledge, um, it's wonderful that you've called somebody. And uh, for Marjorie and I, we're excited for you and for what the Lord has for you. Um, our prayer request is that you remember us, that God will open a door so we can do this all over again somewhere else. We've thoroughly enjoyed it. We want to thank you for the time here. I'm not done just yet, um, but I want to thank you for the time here. And it's been great to, to know so many and just have this wonderful opportunity. It was very unexpected change in my life, um, but we're thankful for it. I want to wish the mothers a very happy Mother's Day. I want to thank Matt for acknowledging in his prayer that there are those in our midst that aren't able to have children, and God still uses them in the lives of people and with those nurturing spirits they have. So that was wonderful to hear that this morning. Well, into Second John again. I think we can be here for two or three months. No, just kidding. Um, biblical li- literacy in 2023, I think, is seemingly at an all-time high in my lifetime. Um, and, and it's not only biblical literacy in the culture. It's biblical illiteracy in the church and in the Christian church as a whole. And you can tell that because there's some common things that people say that they believe to be found in Scripture. But they're not. Here's one. What type of fruit did Eve eat in the garden? An apple, right? Talk to my Filipino friends and they'll tell you it's a mango. But according to Genesis 3.6, the fruit isn't ever named. It doesn't just says a fruit. Or how about this one? This is a saying that tricks many. Money is the root of all evil. But that's not what it says in 1 Timothy 6.10. In 6.10 in 6, it says this, For the love of money is a root, a root of all kinds of evil. Or here's one of my pet peeves. This one really bothers me. God will not give you more than you can handle. I get that it's meant to provide comfort to people. I understand that. But you can't find that in the Bible. Now, I think mistakenly, people look at 1 Corinthians 10.13 and they read it, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful and He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you will be able to bear it. The verse itself is actually a reference to temptation. It has nothing to do with finding yourself overwhelmed in your journey at times. We often face things in life that force us to our knees and force us to depend on God. And that's what God wants. He wants us, He invites us to lean into Him. And that's fine. Lastly, how about this one? God helps those who help themselves. A Sparna study in the U.S. found that 8 out of 10 Americans thought that this phrase comes from the Bible. And more than half of the respondents believed that this is one of the major emphasis in Scripture. Well, where does anybody know where that phrase comes from? Ah, I just thought I'd take a trivia shot at it. I would have given you $20. Okay. 
In, in 1736, Benjamin Franklin popularized it in Poor Richard's Almanac. It's not in Scripture. But whether Eve ate an apple, a pear, doesn't matter. It's harmless. But it's the other half-truths that deceive people and in muddy Scripture. See, biblical illiteracy unhitches life, one's life from the truth, creating a, a greater issue, a greater pop, a probability of deception. See, when truth becomes optional, we lose our anchor into reality. And last week, we went at great lengths to understand the fallout of disconnecting truth from love. The disconnection uh, from truth can be found in the progressive church movement that is sweeping across North America. But note, as it sweeps, it also eventually loses membership. It results in statements that are clearly contradictory to the Word of God and biblical teaching. Here's an example for you. Recognize the faithfulness of other people who have other names for the gateway to God's realm. Did you catch that? Recognize the faithfulness. This is straight from their website. Recognize the faithfulness of other people who have other names for the gateway to God's realm. When I read that statement, the first thing that comes to my mind is a verse from Acts, Acts 4.12. And I wonder, how do they get around this? And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. In their zeal to be all-loving and all-inclusive to all people, biblical truth is sacrificed. If there were other ways to God, then Jesus is a liar. Right? If there are other ways to God, that makes Jesus Christ a liar. Because in John 14, 6, he says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One more statement. Again, directly off their webpage. Seek community that is inclusive of all people, including but not limited to conventional Christians and questioning skeptics, believers and agnostics, women and men, those of all sexual orientations and gender identities, those of all classes and abilities. The practicality of that statement is that they're open to all these people to shape the leadership and direction of the local church. It's not that they're welcome to, as all people are welcome to come here and hear the gospel and sit amongst us. But to be a member and leadership in a local church requires salvation. Luke 5.32, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Church membership is to be for those who have repented of their sins and come to faith in Jesus Christ. But what do you do if you don't have any sin? What do you do if the church doesn't teach that there is sin? I have a, I have a concern with a very popular phrase nowadays. 
It's this. Jesus has come to fix your brokenness. It's in every song. I've used that phrase myself, and I've used it from this pulpit. But my fear is this, that there's a change in understanding of the words and what that phrase means. So we need to be clear. Brokenness is due to sin. And not just other people's sin, but it's our own sin in our own lives. See, we have a sin problem. Not something that can be fixed with crazy glue. We're not just broken. We're separated from God. Be careful. There are deceivers out there who like to use the same words that you and I would use, but they speak a different language. Elements of our culture have given new meaning to words, and they demand that all of us, that all of society affirms those definitions. It started years ago with the word family and what constitutes a family. Now it's being applied to gender. Churches that move in this direction have long ago given up on the first 11 chapters of the Bible. They no longer defend Genesis 1 through 11, where we get the idea of family and genders and society in general from. They give new meanings, and not to accept those new meanings, you become unloving. But the problem is that words have meaning, and words should not be disconnected from reality, from the truth. When we do that, when we disconnect truth from love, we often then connect love to a sinful behavior. And if you don't buy into this, you're, you're not only considered to be not tolerant, but you're unloving. You're even downright hateful if you don't affirm the behaviors that other people choose to follow. And by not affirming, you commit violence. And you may even contribute to their self-harm. However, I want you to note something. This is only a one-way street. Because no one out there is wanting to affirm my identity in Jesus Christ and my desire to live out His truth. Before we dive into John chapter 2, let's pray. No, 2 John, not John 2, 2 John, let's pray. Father, we live in a difficult world, a world that's trying to change meanings and definitions, and a world that wants to disconnect love from the truth of the gospel and truth in general. We live in a world that points to us and will say that we're hateful. And Father, it makes it difficult for us. We have many challenges Father, we pray that you will help us to be a loving people that is always connected to the truth. As we look at your word this morning, Father, we pray that you'll help us to push aside the concerns of last week and the concerns of tomorrow, to take some time just to focus on your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So, if you're not there already, turn to 2 John. And in 2 John, verse 5 gets into the heart of this letter. And if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible or didn't bring it, there are Bibles at the welcome desk at the back. Please help yourself so you can follow along. 
And you can take one if you don't have one. That's fine. That's what they're there for. So, 2 John, starting in verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. John gives us a reminder here. He gives a reminder to the reader that the commandment, love one another, is nothing new. I want you to put your finger in John or Second John, and I want you to turn way back to the beginning of the Bible. I want you to turn back to the third book in the Bible, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. So it's the third book. It's way back there. It's a page 115 in mine. I'm not sure what it is in yours. Leviticus 19. And in this passage, we are going to find, way back in Leviticus, God's concern for the welfare of man in general. And God is instructing His people in practical ways to show love to those around them. Starting in verse 9 of Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So in those short verses, we see that there's provision for those in need in the community. To not to get greedy and just take every little bit, but there are people that are are out there that need help and they can come and they can, they can work and they can gather for themselves and provide for their needs. When we did the book of Ruth, when I first came here, we talked about that. Verse 11, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. So God was concerned about justice and dealing in truth. Verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. Remember, they would just take the money they earned from one day to buy food for that day. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You shall not, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. So when we're dealing with others, we need to deal with them respectfully. When we deal with those that have limitations or disabilities, those that are vulnerable in our community, we are to deal with them rightly and justly. Verse 15, You shall not do injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Justice was for everybody. If you can picture Lady Justice, you'll note that Lady Justice has a blindfold on. That's because everybody should get equal treatment before the law. That goes all the way back to Leviticus. Verse 17, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 
So they were encouraged to negotiate, to reason, to treat others right. Not to take the law into their own hands. To let wrongs of the past go. They were to give forgiveness to one another. The standard was to love that person as you love yourself. But as we go to the New Testament, Jesus ups the ante. So let's go to John, the Gospel of John, verse, or chapter 13. John chapter 13. And as we go to the John chapter 13, I want you to look at verses 34 and 35. And Jesus does up the ante here. Verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So love isn't the new command. Because we heard that way back in Leviticus. What's the new commandment here? The new commandment is how we love. This new kind of love was of the highest form. This new kind of love was agape love. It was, it was to seek the greatest good in another person. It is sacrificial love. See, we're to love just as Jesus loved. The mark of a true disciple would be love, would be seeking the best interest in another person and loving sacrificially. But that love is always, always connected to truth, as we discovered and talked about last week. True love must be rooted in truth. So the commandment is to love one another. And it was also the theme, not only in the Gospel of John at times, but if you were to flip over to, with me to 1 John, that's the first of the three letters he writes, right before 2 John, you will find that loving one another was a theme. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 through 10. Beloved, I am writing you no new command, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. At the same time, it's a new commandment. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And then right after that, a few short verses later, he talks about not loving the world, which means this world system that we live in. And that's a reference to how the world operates, and it operates on a premise of rejecting God. And then he comes to chapter 3, 1 John 3.11. He says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. The next chapter, 1 John 4, 7, and 8, as he continues his theme. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does, does not love does not know God, because God is love. Why does John repeat himself and repeat himself? Repeats himself for dense people like me. Because the key to education is repetition. He does it again in in 2 John. The verse we're to look at this morning. 2 John verse 
6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. And does he repeat himself? This verse is remarkably similar to 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Very similar. And he does it again in 1 John 2, starting in verse 3. Please listen as I read. I won't ask you to turn there, but listen. This is how we know, this is how we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments. So this is how we know that if we know God, we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. One commentator had this to say about the verses. The test of love is obedience to God's commands. And the test of obedience is that we walk in love. Did you catch that? The test of love is obedience to God's commands. And the test of obedience is that we walk in love. This is a tightrope that you and I walk. And I'm not going to say it's easy to live our life. It's very much like walking on a tightrope as we try to live this out. Obedience to God's word while continuing to love those around us. Notice in the verses, there's still that connection between love and truth. Our culture says, if you love me, you'll affirm me in whatever I do. But as a believer, we must love, but we cannot disconnect love from truth. We cannot disconnect that love from God's commandments. Therefore, I cannot affirm sin. I believe it's true to say that we need to to learn to love the sinner, but not the sin. But in saying that, people begin to bristle. People begin to get downright angry at you if you were to say that. When they hear it, they claim that you're really not loving them. But the reality is this. When you want others to be in a relationship with God, and you hate the things that keep people from God, that is one of the highest forms of love. But they don't understand, and you'll be accused of hating them. It's not easy to speak the truth in love. And I guarantee you that as you try to speak the truth and love people around you, you will make some errors. It's not always going to be easy. But we need to pray We need to go before God and we need to keep love connected to the gospel of the truth. The truth of the gospel. It really is a tightrope walk. And it's really something that we need to be on our knees in prayer about. 
that the Lord will strengthen us in our love for others and the Lord will strengthen us in our wisdom to live out that love without endorsing others' sins. A warning here. There is a movement in Christendom. It's called the Red Letter Christian Movement. And in that movement, the website will tell you that they believe in all Scripture, but there is an emphasis just on the ones in red. But in emphasizing just the red letters, those things that supposedly Christ said, they bypass the moral codes of the Old Covenant. See, to to live as Jesus did is what they want. But if there's any apparent contradiction, and I use that word term loosely, apparent contradiction, the red letters win out. All of Scripture should be interpreted through those red letters. And while that sounds good, it begins to place more importance on the words of Jesus, but, but it misses the fact that all of Scripture, all of Scripture comes from Him. Scripture gets its authority not just in the red letters, but in all of it. Because it comes from Christ as He moved on people's hearts to write it. In the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are approximately 1,800 verses attributed to Jesus. And out of those 1,800 verses, 180 or 10% of them are direct quotes either from the Old Testament or their uh, direct analogies or, or allusions to the Old Testament. So Christ appeal, appeals to the Old Testament even in His words. So He is and would not be considered just a red-letter Christian. The, all, the other issue, though, and, and this is how they get around it because they only emphasize the red letters, they reject the teachings of Paul when Paul says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture, all Scripture is is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. See, this movement's attempt to correct a perceived lack of love by Christians for the world around them disconnects love from truth. And in disconnecting that, in their zeal, the pendulum swings far in the other direction. We're terrible as humans for swinging pendulums back and forth. And as they do that, they ignore sin. John gives another warning to us in verse 7. Verse 7, 2 John. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now, there's a debate that rages on in in, in theological when you read through this saying, well, did these people come directly out from the church that that John's writing or so they were part of the church and then went out or are these people in general that went out and are deceivers that have gone out to the world in large? Well, they both have great points when you read through it and it makes great reading. Let's not get lost in what the point of the writing is. And that's the fact that deceivers will come to the church. Deceivers will come to your home. And we need to be alert. Not every teacher has your best interest in mind. 
Not every teacher that you see has your best interests in mind. I want to go through four heresies for you. Four heresies that still exist in one form or another today. I hope you'll take some time to look them up on your own. Because ignorance is not blissful here. It can lead to a problem that is in some churches in Canada, particularly I think of one in Toronto, where the pulpit is filled by an affirming atheist and has been for over a decade. We need to know what it says. On the back of your bulletins, if you so want to look this up later, we have changed them a little bit for you. Doodle pad, writing pad, whatever you want to call it. But you can write these down there. Iranianism. Iranianism. A-R-I-A-N-I-S-M. A-R-I-A-N-I-S-M. This is a, a denial of the full deity of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. It proposes that Jesus was created by God. By God. Just Jesus was, was not fully God. He's not truly God, but He was created by God. It's a heresy that's still propagated by the Jehovah Witnesses. And there's other cults that adhere to it. Other faith traditions that will say Jesus was birthed of a woman with a mother and father. He had human parents. They, they discount the Holy Spirit's involvement in the miraculous altogether. And they take it from a proof text in Proverbs 8.22. And we don't have time to go through it all, but 8.22 reads this. The Lord acquired me at the beginning of His creation before His works of long ago. I, I wish I had time to go through the verse, but it is not speaking that Jesus was birthed or created. And I, I'm going to direct you to another resource. There's a free online commentary called The Enduring Word by David Geisick. It does a good job at exegeting this text. It's not a long read, but just type in the enduring word. Go down into his commentary section and go down to Proverbs. If you have a library or want to borrow my book or want me to photocopy the page for you, I will. But Derek Kidner does a good job in his commentary on Proverbs. And the reason this is so important is this. Uh, every couple of years, there's this state of theology that's a study done in the U.S., and it's done by Longineer Ministries and Lifeway Research. And in that recent study in 2020, 20, 2022, 73% of American evangelicals agreed with the statement that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. That is sad. Self-proclaimed evangelicals. Then there's Apollinarianism. Here you go. A-P-O-L-L-I-N-A-R-I-A-N-I-S-M. And it's a reaction to the one above it. Arianism. In an attempt to shore up Jesus' divinity... The belief compromises Jesus' humanity. See, their belief is that the human mind is sinful, and from the human mind comes all this sin and terrible thoughts and all kinds of forms of evil. 
So there was no way that Jesus could have ever had a human mind because an evil would have existed with inside him. Then there's doicetism, or doicetism, D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M. It is influenced by Gnosticism. In its basic form, their belief is this, that Jesus was a spiritual being and only a spiritual being, but he appeared in the form of a man, but he wasn't really a man. Both of those compromise our Christology, as we call it. They compromise our understanding of who Christ is. But they're still taught in our world, and we need to beware of them because it's a false gospel. Then there's Nestorius. N-E-S-T-O-R-I-U-S. In this heresy, they claim that Christ is two separate persons, they deny what we call hypostatic union. I know that sounds really fancy, but let me give you a very simple understanding of what hypostatic union is. Here's a quote from David Mathis. He's an editor with Desiring God. The hypostatic union is the mysterious joining of the divine and the human in the one person of Jesus. Jesus has two complete natures, one fully human, one fully divine. What the doctrine of hypostatic union teaches is that these two natures are united in the one person, in the God-man. Jesus is not two persons. He is one person. Remember, we've talked about that before. Jesus Christ is 100% God, but at the same time, He's 100% man. But they deny that. That's not what the Bible teaches. So why are they so important to understand that? Look at verse 7. John tells us why. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. He equates these people who would believe this as deceivers, as being the antichrist, one who is in opposition to Jesus Christ. And when somebody's in opposition to Jesus Christ, they offer something different. And that's exactly the issue. They offer a substitute which serves as a false gospel, a false truth. John continues with his reasoning in verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Now, what, what did they work for? And maybe there's some principles we can gain. Here are some options. The Scripture doesn't tell us, but perhaps it was a joint project that they were working together. Perhaps it was the evangelism of that, evangelizing that area to which the church served. Perhaps it was the spiritual growth of the readers. That's what they were working for, to grow spiritually and understand Christ. And this teaching would upset that. Or it might have been the individual ministries of the people in the church. Well, Scripture doesn't indicate for us exactly what they were working for. But it does assure us that if we leave orthodox teachings, the truth of the gospel, they would ruin their work. And and, and not only would it ruin their work, but there would be a loss of reward. John doesn't elaborate what that is either. 
But Scripture often speaks of there being eternal rewards for us, heavenly rewards. From Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were, bef- the prophets who were before you. The principle is that if you want to receive a full reward, one needs to remain faithful to Christ and to his teachings. Think of the men that you and I have known in our lifetime, who we might have called great men of the faith. And and when they begin to teach false doctrine, or it begins to be shown that they are living a life that's a lie, that they're living contrary to the gospel, think of the damage that has done. Now, we can't for sure say what their eternal condition and state was, but we can see the damage in the wake of what has happened in their life and the pain and the lives that have been left in destruction and chaos. So we need to remain true to Christ and true to his teaching. Look down at verse 9, because verse 9 for us affirms some of our previous discussions in the last two Sundays. Everyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. We read that one more time to you from a different version. Anyone who wanders away from the teaching has no relationship with God. Anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. So, to go ahead is to begin to believe doctrines outside what we call orthodox. It means to wander away from the clear teachings of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 simply states that the one who moves beyond Christ's clear teaching and stays there, abides there, See, some might be deceived for a while, but when they correct it, they respond and they return to the teachings of Christ. But for those who will not and do not, why won't they? Well, it's because they've never had a relationship with Christ to begin with. See, to abide in false teaching is to raise the flag and say, hey, I'm really not a believer. So if you're abiding in false teaching, you're flying the flag that says, I'm not of Christ. Otherwise, you wouldn't abide there. 1 John 2.19 They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, persevered. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not all of us. Jesus, John continues warning. And he warns because false teaching can come to a church, to any church. You'd not believe some of the promotional material that comes through to this church. And after a little investigating, it reveals that what might look good on the outside is nothing but a Trojan horse on the inside. It's false teaching. Look at verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked ways. The word greeting clouds a little bit for us because when we think of the word greeting, we think of 
Uh, it brings images of, hello, how are you? But the Greek word there for greeting actually means to rejoice, to be glad, to be delighted. I, I think the NLT helps us in our understanding of what John was writing here when it says this. If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, do not or don't invite that person into your home or give him any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people becomes a partner in their evil work. Now, that doesn't mean if someone comes knocking at your door on a Saturday morning, you can't open the door and invite them in and give them a cup of tea and have a chat with them as you try to correct their errors. But a warning here. Those individuals are well-trained. And if you do not know your stuff, if you only know a little bit of Bible, they're going to confuse you. And we also have to remember that they may use the same words, but they use different definitions. They are speaking a different language. So you need to tread carefully. You need to tread carefully because they are taught that they are coming to your door to teach you, not vice versa. So, as one commentator said, if you want to take the material and throw it out labor, that's fine. But don't give them a donation. Don't buy anything from them. Why? Because the minute you give them a donation or buy one of their books, you are becoming a partner in their evil work. That applies to giving hospitality. Not in the sense of the cup of tea, but having them stay overnight or something like that. Giving hospitality to a false teacher also seemingly gives somewhat of an endorsement that I agree with them. And we need to be careful of that. But I also believe the principle goes beyond that. The principle applies to the financial contributions that we make. If we're contributing to an unorthodox church or ministry, it enables them to spread false teachings and practices. And we, not, we need not do that. But let's expand that principle. This idea of not inviting contrary teachers of Christ into your home. Do we do it when we invite certain television shows through the cable, on the internet, the radio, magazines or books that we might buy? Whom do you allow to teach you? Whom do you allow into your home to teach your family? Do we understand what they're teaching? Do we dig deep enough to understand what that ministry or teacher represents? Who influences them? Who are they connected with? We spoke earlier of the red, Christian, red letter Christian movement. I'm going to give you a name of a person, and I'm going to give you a name of a musical group. And you'll probably know both of them, at least some of you will. The co-founder of the red Christian movement, his name is Tony Campola. And I know some of you know that name. The musical group that has signed on and endorses the Red Letter Christian Movement, and I have one of their CDs, Red and Collective. Others endorsing that movement, Sojourners Magazine, World Vision USA. So we need to know what's influencing people. We need to know what they believe in. And we need to be careful what, what or whom we invite, whether it's through the internet whether it's through the television or a book, a magazine, who are you inviting to teach you? 
and your family? Who's influencing you? The letter concludes with a, with a sense that, that John has so much more to say to the people. Look down at verses 12 and 13. Though I have much more to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. But instead, I, I hope to come to you and talk to you face, and face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. There's a, a, a tone of urgency here. Why? Because false teachers are dangerous. It's, it's, it's imperative that believers persevere in proper teaching. Because proper teaching and persevering in the truth of the gospel is evidence that you're a Christian to begin with. You ever sat through a service some other church or sat through a, a something online or on TV and you kind of, oh, that sounds okay. And th- there's something, though, that's unsettling in your heart. I believe that's the Holy Spirit nudging you saying, hey, that's not good teaching. John also lays a, a pretty heavy responsibility on our shoulders. Just as you and I, as we grow, and we saw the kids up here, and I was with my granddaughter last night. She's somewhat learning to feed herself. She likes to feed the dog, or at least tease the dog. Pulls it back. Just as you and I have to learn to feed ourselves and clothe ourselves, the burden here is that you and I can feed ourselves spiritually so that we can feed ourselves maturely so we understand and grow. But if there's one weakness in the North American church, it's the fact that we are weak when it comes to our understanding of doctrine and teaching. It's the fact that so many people can be, be given over to and fall to the celebrity pastor and teaching ministry so quickly because they cannot discern the truth because they don't know the truth. Listen to some of the errors believed by the North American Evangelical Church. And again, this is from the Longineer study from 2022, so Longineer and Lifeway Research. God learns and adapts to different circumstances. 48% of evangelicals agree with that statement, that God learns and adapts. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. 65% agree with that. But Scripture is clear that we are, as cute as they are, we are all born in sin and we all need a Savior. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 43% of the evangelical church agrees with that. 54% disagree. And I found it very strange because it somewhat contradicts the previous question I brought up earlier where 73% of American evangelicals agreed with the statement that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Or this one. God accepts the worship of all religions including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. 56% of evangelicals agree with that. Not being deceived means that you stay connected to the truth. It's being able to walk in this world that's walking the other direction from God. It's meaning that we have to hold tighter onto God. We need to know Him better. 
If the church in North America, if Forest Baptist Church is going to have an impact, if it's going to be salt and light in its community, we need to know the Word. We cannot remain biblically illiterate. And John is so clear here. Not walking in the truth shows your allegiance to whom you worship. You want to walk in the truth. And we can't just be head smart. We can know all the doctrine. But if we can't live that truth out in love and grace, then it becomes useless. So we want to be biblically illiterate. but We want to be able to live in truth and love and grace. We want to be able to reach out to our community and show them that love and grace. But always that love is connected to the truth of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your love for us, for your kindness. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. And Father, we need your wisdom this morning. We need your wisdom to learn how to love in truth and in grace. We can't endure sin. We have a world that wants us to affirm. Father, we need wisdom to love that world, to show them the light of Jesus Christ, but not affirm them. To understand that sin needs repentance. Father, help us to be diligent in our study of the word and our understanding. Help us to be diligent to grow in our knowledge of you. And help us to be diligent to be able to work that out practically in our lives so that we can be a light here at Forest and through our missionaries, lights to people around the world of the love of the gospel and the desire for you to be in relationship with them. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.